Well, certainly December is a crazy month for all of us and super busy, and I just want to take a moment this morning to just pause. I know we have already in our time to sing and praise God and just take another moment here to just pray. And I want to, as we pray, asking the Lord to today just ready us for the Word of God, but just to still our hearts. There's a lot of things going on in our community. There's a lot of things happening even in the lives of folks in our church. Um, And even today, I, I want to pray especially for Erica and Alyssa as they're going to go minister to a friend as soon as church is finished. And the details I don't want to share at this moment, but a a tragedy has taken place and these young ladies are going to go come alongside a friend. And so let's just uh, lift them up and also our family together. Dear Father, we come together today and so grateful for the privilege to worship. Lord, to be able to lift up our voices in song and to be reminded of even each other, of your great love for us, the power that we have in Christ. And we thank you for that today, and it's a privilege to praise you. Lord, we come in today with a lot of distractions in our heart and mind, just the busyness of, for students, it's the end of a semester, and there's pressure, and there's uh, demands that are high, and our hearts are heavy for that. There's tragedies that have taken place uh, this week, And very difficult things to hear in the hearts of many in our church. Many of us are celebrating new life and so many new things and celebrating your great grace. And so we come in here this morning, Lord, as kind of as any family would with those that are mourning and those that are celebrating. And so, Lord, you know the measure of grace needed in every heart in this room this morning. And we ask, God, that you would just pour out that grace through the power of your spirit today in a way that only we know you can. Lord, draw those to you today that are not Christ followers yet, that this uh, time this morning in the Word would, would expose the reality of Christ and the need for Jesus Christ. And today, by faith, uh, we would trust in you. Lord, thank you for the Word. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I open, invite you to open your Bible to the book of Nehemiah. Today, we'll be in chapter 4. We have completed some wall construction parts on this uh, chapter study and now we and the gates have been hung back in order so if you're new to the book of Nehemiah this is a building project that is fantastic to see a city wall going into construction gates being hung back it was once in ruin and just as you can imagine when something that was once named by God's name this is a city that was known as God's city It was God's temple that was there. All of that was destroyed. It seemed the glory of God had been now completely wrecked. And now God has sent back people for reconstruction, rebuilding, because our God is a rebuilding God. It's a great template to look at in life for sometimes things happen. Sin happens in our own life. Sin happens to us, not only from us, but to us. And as a result, man, it's like our lives get wrecked like a city broken down without walls. But God has designed us as people, and through Christ, we can see a reconstruction and a renewing of our lives. We're called to be renewed, and God rebuilds. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. Because now you're suited as a Christ follower, you're suited for eternity. So you you take the challenges that are real in life, and you expand them out onto the scope of an eternal time frame. So yes, though, as Paul even described in the New Testament, though my outward self is perishing, that is true. My body is getting older and is diminishing, that is true. And I receive persecution and destruction and all kinds of things come our way. 
though my inward man is renewed day by day, and quite frankly, I'm suited to live for eternity because of what Christ has done for me. So I can take the challenges of life, and though they're hard in this moment, and expand them out onto a grander scale, but to see the fact that God is a rebuilding God and taking whatever is broken in life and puts it back in order. And so that's what this book of Nehemiah has been about. And so today what we're going to observe is, of course, if you make a commitment in your life, many of us have done this, that you want to build some things or rebuild some areas that have really fallen down and gotten destroyed. And every time you make a commitment, especially on spiritual things, you discover that there's a lot of opposition to that. The opposition sometimes comes from within, in your, inside of you. Sometimes it comes from the outside, and as a, as a result, it's, it's very discouraging. We have an enemy that is always seeking to discourage. Never lose sight of the bigger picture of the kingdom, that God is building his kingdom. We are his servants in his kingdom. We are his sons and daughters in his kingdom. And we are, like I said, suited to live forever with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, that is our design and our intended purpose. But we have an enemy that is opposing all of that. Anything that is going forward for God is going to be opposed. And so we have to realize we're in a constant battle with self but we're in a battle that is outside as well of an, uh, of an oppressor that wants to just discourage and cause us to stop building and to just lay down our tools and, and quit. We've been given a mission by the Lord Jesus Christ that we are to go and make disciples and that mission is, it, it never stops. As long as you're breathing God's air, we have a mission that is very clear. But we get discouraged in the way. A lot of things happen in life that's very complicated and as a result, we get very discouraged. Today I want to reveal, and I think it's so cool with God how he does this. God reveals the face of the enemy repeatedly through the Bible. He tells us who the enemy is. We even know him by name. We understand his powers and his entities and where all he functions. But we even get to see God peels back layers so that we can even watch how he works so that you can... Prepare in advance. You can plan. You can get tools in your hands and weapons in your hands and get your mind set because you have an enemy that is always in an, in, on a pursuit to assault your mind because the goal is to get you discouraged to quit, to quit on life, quit on relationships, to quit, quit, whatever it is that would be for God, just shut it down. And so today we're going to peel back the face of the enemy. At the same time, we want to look at what's a righteous response to the attacks that come. So Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 1 says, But it so happened that when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant, and he mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren, the army of Samaria, and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifice? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? He's mocking this, man, this individual. His name is Sanballat. And he obviously has some level of advantage at this point by the fact that the walls are broken down and the gates were burned. Now that all of this is starting to get built back, this is a threat. Because Israel or the Jews, once they get this all established again... There's no longer this capacity to just keep uh, having endless filtration in and out of the city, and endless passing through the, the city. And so as a result, he's angry. And they begin to mock. 
Always remember, this is the first layer of ways the enemy wants to work in your life. You make a commitment and you will be mocked. Oh, you're going to try that again. How many times have you tried that? How many times have you said you're going to do that? Oh, you think it'll work this time? You've done this before and it didn't work before. And then there's always some other person kind of firing off in the cheap seats that has to say something too, which it's here in the Bible. Now, Tobiah, the next verse, the Ammonite was beside him and he said, whatever they build, even uh, if even a fox goes up on it, He'll break down their stone wall. Oh, so even a little fox can run on your little wall that you guys are building? After all, you're not all master craftsmen. Look, you're, you're goldsmiths and you're priests and you guys have all these jobs and, and the women are building it and the men are building Isn't it sweet, your little project? Even if a fox runs on your project, it would knock your wall down. And haven't you had these things happen? When you say, you know what, this is something that God's leading me to do and I really feel like God's directing my life in this way. Oh, you're, you're going to do one of those things again. Really? And here we go with all the mockery that, yeah, you think you're going to build that? You're not. That oppression comes sometimes from the outside. And I say to you that today that, you know, we know we have a clear enemy. And this is really complicated, I think, sometimes. Because we know we have a spiritual enemy. The devil and all his cronies that go with him are, are very real. The Bible speaks of this. But in this case in Nehemiah, this is a real dude. This guy's name is Sanballat and his buddy Tobiah. And they're going to they're gonna, uh, work together with others to oppress Israel at the same time. These are real flesh and blood people. So how does that play out in the Bible? I thought this was a spiritual battle. These are bad guys. You know, you'll see in life, as we all know, there are people who are not walking with God. The Spirit of God is not in them. As a result, when they're in the flesh, they are as the spirit of disobedience works in them. And it is going to oppose everything that is God. And I, well, now wait a minute. What are you talking about, Dwayne? Well, let me share this with you. This verse will not be on the screen, but Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 2, teaches this. That before it says that, verse 1 says, And he made you alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So here's the state of deadness. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. So the world walks according to the prince of the power of the air. There's an order here. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So there is a spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. Meaning contrary to God. That was all of us before you come to know Jesus Christ. You may have good days and do good things and moral things. But as a, as a rule, we are the sons of disobedience going contrary to God until the day we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, and now you are empowered by the Spirit of God to live for God. But here's what's interesting about this, is before I became a Christ follower, my whole course was opposing God. Now my course is to follow God. But it is true that even as a Christ follower... There's moments I'm going to be in the flesh and paying attention to my flesh and be envious and jealous and do mean and stupid and terrible things. Galatians teaches about this in Galatians chapter 5. It teaches me this. 
It says, I say then, verse 16, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And here's, the, here's what flesh looks like. It says, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to each other, so that you do not do the things you wish. So that means as a Christ follower with the spirit of God living in me, I still will do things in the flesh. There's this war going on in me all the time. So I can be in the spirit in one moment and worshiping, loving God, loving people, doing the right things according to truth. And in another moment, I could yield to my flesh and behave in a manner that is completely ungodly. Not pr- no one's proud of that moment. But it, it helps me to understand this because sometimes the shots in life that hurt the most are the ones that come from a Christ follower. And it's like, what is that? I'm in this spiritual battle, and how can this be right when someone who is a professing part of the body of Christ is actually the one shooting at me the hardest and making my life miserable? How does that work? Well, in the same way that I can be in the flesh and sin against God and sin against others, even as a Christ follower, well, so can that happen with someone else that's a Christ follower. But now, what about those that aren't Christ followers? Well, they don't have the Holy Spirit in them at all. And so here's what this looks like. So the works of the flesh, these are ugly. They're evident, which are adultery and fornication and uncleanness and lewdness and idolatry and sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outburst of wrath. Well, I bet signing this is really fun. And then selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Throw it all in there. The whole pot of, you know what that is? That is all works of the flesh that we are all vulnerable to, potentially have done all of that or some of that, and at any moment can behave that way again. And in this text is then teaching, the exact opposite then is the fruit of the Spirit, which we know is love and joy and peace and gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance or self-control. Well, it also goes on to say, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Now, why do I I share that with you? Because you come to this spot in Nehemiah, and in putting this in the context of us, everyday living, rebuilding, establishing this wall in life that is secure in the Lord, my salvation that's secure, my gates that are the praise and it's the controlled access points. And you're, you're in this lifelong process of God conforming me to the image of his son and he's building me and molding me and making me. And at the same time, I'm, I'm apt personally to get in the flesh and do dumb things. But also when I make these commitments in my life and I start doing the work of the ministry and doing what God's told me to do, this outside pressure comes from those that aren't Christ followers. It's like, well, I kind of expected that. Yeah, and it comes in the package of a human being, a Sanballat and Tobiah in your life that makes life really stinking hard. But where's the power behind that? The spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, see, it's still out on a spiritual level of somebody being used that way. 
it can be a Christ follower who's in the flesh listening to their flesh in the spirit of disobedience instead of listening to the spirit of God. What's the evidence of that? You remember when Jesus was with the disciples and was explaining to them what was about to happen and he was going to go to the cross, be delivered into the hands of men? In that moment, Peter, remember, rebuked him and said, Not so, Lord. Now, a few verses preceding this, Peter was a man who, under pressure, said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus told him, he said, You didn't come up with that on your own. My Father told you that. He was in the Spirit, and God told him, and he heard it and proclaimed the Word of God. Moments later, Peter's flesh kicked into gear. I don't like what I'm hearing. I don't want this to happen. This isn't right. And he rebukes the Lord to his face. And Jesus turned and told him, he said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because the words that he was speaking, those were not words of God. That was the words of the spirit of disobedience. And so here's why I tell you this, because sometimes, you know what, we get trying to figure out all the spiritual realm, and is this this, or is this that? Trying to figure it out, it's impossible. The fact of the matter is, when we are in the process of doing the mission and living for God and pursuing daily to follow God, you will have pressure coming from the outside. Sometimes dissuaders will come or detractors will come in your life that are Christ followers in the flesh, And those who are not Christ followers, who are just on agents and working on behalf of the spirit of disobedience. How do I respond to this? What do I do with this? Well, there's a righteous response that happens in verse 4. These guys have all cohorted together. And here's what Nehemiah says. Hear, O our God. He begins to pray. For we are despised. Turn their reproach on their heads and give them as plunder to the land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. He's like, well, I like that prayer. It's the prayer of, hey God, why don't you just go wipe them out? Take the detractors out of my life and get rid of them so I don't have to deal with this anymore. I don't know about you, but I have prayed this prayer. And there have been times I didn't understand why God didn't answer it. I have had people in my life in previous ministries that I've been a part of that were destructive to people. I did not understand why were they allowed to continue to do life and destroy ministry, church, people's lives. And dude, God, what in the world? And I've had these conversations going up and down my driveway where I talk to the Lord. God, I don't get it. This seems like such a contradiction. You tell me to go to the ends of the world... To proclaim the gospel and make disciples. And I, I want to obey you to do this exactly the way you say. But on the flip side of the coin, you got this dude in the ministry even that's a destructor of people. Why don't you just take him out and look how quick we could multiply. So I had this all figured out. And I don't understand why God doesn't listen to me. And maybe you may say something similar to say, God... Why has God not taken the detractors out of my life? Why did God not just extract, if my struggle is for my mind, my struggle is for my emotion, my struggle is for the things that are going on with me that I can't seem to ever get figured out, why is it that God did just remove all that and make that where it's not a thing? 
Well, he didn't do it here either. He did not remove Sambalat and Tobiah. They're going to continue doing their deal. You know what he does instead? He takes and gives them the mind to work and keep after it. And instead, he strengthened them. Instead of removing the enemy from them, he gave them the strength to walk in it at that time. This is phenomenal. Why would God do that in my life and yours? Because for the things that God has for you for the rest of your days on this planet, that you have no earthly idea what that is, you need the strength from God to know how to, how to deal with the enemy when he's coming from without and from within because of the things God has for you. You need and I need to learn these things along the way. I need the strength of God in this. I need to know how to deal with the oppressors that come. I need to know how to deal with ridicule and mockery. I need to understand that. What I need is God's strength. What I need to know is I've got to learn how to take stock in the provisions that God has already given me and say, Lord, thank you. You have saved me, so I am secure in my salvation with you. I know that because Jesus rose from the grave, I win. No matter what, I win because my faith is in Christ. You've given me the word of God, so I have 4,000 years of human history recorded in a book, so I get to see, God, how you interact with people, and I get to, my hope and my comfort is now secured in this word of who you are and what you do in the lives of people. You've given me your Holy Spirit to dwell in me, so I am, you're not this God that's so far removed. No, you literally dwell inside of me so I can know you intimately and personally. You've given me a community, a whole church of people to love and be loved by. And we do life together and understand each other's struggles. And we pray for one another and strengthen each other. God, you've given me mentors in my life who invest in me. You've given me, as 1 Peter 1 says, you've given me all things that pertain to life and godliness. God's given us everything we need. But you know what I'll always pay attention to? the thing that he didn't take away, or the thing that I think I still need. Well, this is what God's teaching right now. He did not take away Sanballat and Tobiah. Instead, let's look what he gave them. Verse 6, So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. You know what God gave them? The mind to work. So they can continue doing the very project that God has already given the authority to do. Remember, Nehemiah had the authority from the king. King Artaxerxes has already put the rubber stamp on this thing that by the king's order this wall can happen with the resources of the king. And so Nehemiah knows this and can appeal to that. But now the people hear this and they have a mind to get back at it and understand the battle here, guys, is for the mind. To get discouraged, to quit. And to, and to just roll over and stop moving forward. But instead, God empowers us to renew our mind. That we might have the mind to work. And keep doing the very things God's given us to do. If you watch what that says, they had a mind to work. And I think we also need to learn how to work the mind. We are taught in Scripture to renew our mind. The entire book of Philippians, we've studied through that in the last year. The word think and thought. Repeated over and over. How to think. How to renew. What am I supposed to be about? Is repeated often in scripture because God knows that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The battle is always after this mind. So now, 
the enemy tries this mockery game, the response was, well, Nehemiah prayed and the people got after it and got to work. Now look at verse 7. Now it happened when Sembalat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites, oh great, now they're literally teaming up, heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem. And what's the motive now? Create confusion. So now they're going to work together. It's not two of them weren't enough. So we got to get more on board and you need more witnesses to come and tell you, you can't do it. This whole project is a mockery. You can't make it. I've seen it before. I'm telling you, you're not going to be able to do it. And they're just going to come flooding in. And what's the goal? Create confusion among the people. It's to create confusion in you. If you just liken yourself to the city, it's to get you in a spot of confusion. Well, I just don't know what God's doing. Well, I just don't understand. Well, I don't know why it happens to be this way. I just don't know what's going on. Well, what if? What if this? And Well, what if that? And we start playing all the hypothetical games in our mind, and we get confused. And we forget the promises that God's made to us. We forget the salvation that we have in the Lord and the provisions that God's given. And then what happens? Communication gets broken. It gets broken between people, but it also gets broken between us and our Father in heaven. Because we get so wrapped up in all the stuff, we don't talk to God, instead we start talking to ourselves. And all the, playing all the what-if games in our lives, and we get very confused. That's the enemy's goal. Well, what's the righteous response? Verse 9, nevertheless, I love that word. All this calamity, nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. All right, you guys want to mount up together and bring in all this artillery to confuse us? Fine, we're going to watch and pray. Now, it's one thing to pray, it's another thing to watch. Because praying and watching, they go hand in hand. But watching is this paying attention. It's the guy that's up in the tower that's looking out. He can't go to sleep at the wheel. This is critical stuff. And so there's a proactive measure that takes place in our lives. When I'm going to be a watchman, then it means I'm going to pay attention and I'm going to invest resources specifically, very specifically, where I'm vulnerable. As As a man of God, I realize I have points of vulnerability. And I know where they are. I know many times where the enemy has tried to exploit my weaknesses and try to push me to be in the flesh and say or do something real stupid. Because I know those points of vulnerability, I have to choose as a watchman to invest my interest in the Word of God to renew my mind specific to those things because every time that starts to come in, I need to be on point and readiness that I can think biblically in that moment because after the fact it's like oh i wished i wouldn't have said that or done that well you know when all the years that it's happened to me and it still happens but all those times it's because i wasn't paying attention i did not invest my time and interest as a watchman in the very areas of the weakness where i know i'm vulnerable they set a watch and pray night and day they did not stop there was no breaks in the way they did this part 
the attacks then came and rotated into an internal. Be careful here. He's like, okay, well, I'm getting my life in order and, and I'm going to get my watchman gear on and I'm good. Well, now here comes the internal attack because this is starting to really mount up outside, coming in. Then Judah said, by the way, Judah would have been the tribe of strength. If you're ever going to have one tribe that you want to count on, there are the guys. It's Judah. Well, naturally, the enemy attack went right at them to make sure they're the ones hearing the message. Go for the point of strength and just nail that thing again and again and again and again. And don't let up. So that the point of strength becomes your point of weakness. Listen to this. Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. And there's so much rubbish, we're not able to build the wall. Well, that is annoying. It's a frustrating part because they're having to deal with all the junk. These walls were broken down. Lots of it was crushed. The gates were burned. There's trash everywhere. And now you're trying to stack up stones. In some cases, you've got to peel a bunch of stuff back to put things back in order. Well, it's hard to even maneuver. And it's annoying. It's frustrating. And now we already know the wall is up to half its height. And it's like, oh, cred. Now we're at the halfway point of the project. You've been there where you kind of reach the halfway of whatever half is. And you're like, I'm exhausted. I can't keep doing this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And you start realizing, I, I just don't have what it takes. And you start running out of gas. And you're going, oh my goodness, it's only half done and we still got to keep going and there's all this junk and the, uh, uh. And, the, and the tribe of Judah just keeps hearing this and it's tedious work and getting rid of the rubbish is not very romantic. This is annoying and I don't like this at all. And, and now this oppression's coming even heavier and so now here comes from the outside. This internal is getting discouraged. Now the enemy's going to exploit it. And our adversary said, well, they'll neither know nor see anything until we come into their midst and kill them and cause their work to cease. Ah, they're going to come. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came and they told us 10 times. Can you just hear this? Pounding, 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 pounding. From whatever place you turn, they're going to be upon us. No matter where we go, they're going to be there. There's so many of them on the outside rushing in. and We just don't have what it takes. We're not strong enough. We're not good enough. We don't have what it takes. And all this discouragement comes in. So what what does Nehemiah do? All right, guys. Guess God gave us fake news. We're not going to build this wall. No pun here intended. Good grief. I'm so sorry. But I cannot even believe I just said all that. But Sorry i got to recompose myself. <laughs> that just happened. All right. So, Nehemiah had to make a decision. We either retreat, shut down the whole building program, because we are not here on authority of the king and by God himself, or we stand on the authority of the king, knowing what God has told us to do, and we build And let the enemy bring whatever they want to bring. And that was his choice. Now, you don't just roll over and say, well, because, well, we're just going to pray here. No. In cooperation with God, it's the same way with us. In cooperation with the Lord, we go do the mission of God. It's why it's called the great co-mission. It is God's mission for us. 
He is the one who empowers it for us to go make disciples of all people. He gives us that mission, but we don't do it alone. That's why he says, and I am with you always. He then is the one who empowers it. He's the one who opens the doors. He's the one that gives you the utterance to speak. He's the one that gives you the training and the preparation so that you're equipped to do the work of the ministry. It's God doing all of these things in us, so it becomes a co-mission. So I can't just go sit in my room and just go pray, Lord, I'm asking that everybody on the face of this planet come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and become a mature follower of Christ and do nothing with that. Instead, it's a commission. There's something responsible here. So if you're going to build a wall, you're going to have to get a trowel in one hand and some weapons in the other and go to work and be ready to do war. And that's the way Nehemiah ordered it out. So you've got to position yourself for the work. Therefore, therefore, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings and I set the people according to their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked... And arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. You know what Nehemiah did? He put people and assigned them the right place, according to their family group, according, according to this chunk of wall, you guys manage this spot. Now, get the tools in one hand, and get the spear in the other, and never take your eye off the ball here. Right place, right position. But he also gave them the right weapons to use for the moment. He had to help them also recognize the cause. What was the cause? You need to fight for your brethren, for your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. This is going to impact your family for generations. This wall either stands or you roll over in the face of the enemy and let him just pilfer you, not only your life, but the lives of your family for generations to come. It's not an option here, men. Get your tools and let's get after it. So you had to recognize the cause. But then he called them out to remember something. Remember. Remember the Lord great and awesome. And, they, and as Israel as a group of people could remember and they recount these in songs. The songs of deliverance from Egypt. The songs of the promise into the land. It's the songs of all that God has done and the power and the provision and the salvation and everything that God has done. We get to hear and remember and remember and remember. Remember the discipline of God, the return that God has given to us, the promise he made us to build, and the empowerment to do it. Remember the Lord. It is why we as a church observe the Lord's table, is to remember. Because why? As a people, we are apt to forget the cross and forget the resurrection which empowers us for victory. We can sing the songs of victory, but Jesus tells us to go back and remember the cross. It was there our sin was paid in full. It was there that sin lost because Jesus conquered it. It was in the grave that Jesus conquered the grave and came back in resurrection, in life, that he can give us eternal life. And so now, what in the world could possibly conquer us if death itself has no victory? Nothing. Because in Christ, we are more than conquerors. The battle, yeah, it comes from without, but the battle is also from within. That is why we are taught in Scripture to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You're working out what God 
is working in. Let's be still and pray for just a moment and ask God to teach us what we need to know right now. Are you discouraged? Just keep your head down and pray as you wish. But I want to ask you a few questions today. Are you discouraged? Does it seem as if the enemy's winning? Allow this study of Nehemiah to help you see. My prayer is that you might see. That though the enemy is very real... And in any given moment, the battles, one at a time, seems like we lose. But we win the war. Your enemy, your enemy is very real. And you can take courage today in knowing that God is the victor. Our Lord Jesus Christ won the victory. If you don't know Jesus personally, have never by faith trusted him, let me just tell you, he's the one who died in your place He's the one that rose from the grave alive and only he can give you the victory. Only he can give you life, eternal life. Do you trust him? Do you believe him?